You need yeah. somebody that you feel like you and their interests are in alignment. It's a win, 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 mm -hmm. right? And so you need to figure out who that person or that party might be. Are you a real estate investor looking to sharpen your skills or a newbie looking to become one? You're in the right place. Welcome to Where Should I Invest? Real Estate Investing in Canada with your host, Sarah Larvey. Hey, real estate investors, and welcome back to another episode of Where Should I Invest with Sarah Larvey. Today's guest, Jason Hall, is the founder of Door Grow, and Door Grow is a company that helps property managers develop their portfolio, get more doors under management, but it is really, really interesting because if you're a investor and you're currently self-managing, you're gonna get tons of tips and different insights from Jason. If you're potentially looking at starting a property management company, maybe you have a few properties right now and Maybe some friends are asking you if you want to manage their property. So there's really cool ideas of different ways that you can make money as an investor. And one of the things that I asked Jason was, I'm looking right now at a 11 unit multi mixed use actually building. And I am a big believer on self-managing, but again, based on where this building is, I'm going to have to find a property manager. So definitely have some questions that what do I even need to ask a property manager to make sure that they're doing things right. So talk about that. Really, really cool. Very inspirational. Actually makes me want to be a property manager and hey, why not? You know, I have lots of friends asking me, would you manage my property? I'm so picky on <laughs> everything that I do with my own properties and very, very picky on tenant screening that, hey, maybe I should do something like that and add a couple and help my friends out with property managed. So anyways, we will see how that works, but I will definitely suggest that if you are a property manager, check out Door Grow. And if you're trying to get into property management, you definitely will want to learn more about it as well. So, all right, awesome. Let's get on with the show and hear what Jason has to say. All right. So guys, today we have Jason Paul from Door Grow, California. And Jason is gonna to talk to us about scaling a property management business. And also, we're super, super excited, some tips on how to find a great property manager. Jason, how are you? I'm doing great. How are you, Sarah? Very good, thanks for being on the show. So before we get started, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and your business? Yeah, absolutely. So. I am in California. Like real quick background on me is I'm married. I have four kids, three daughters, two dogs, and we are getting ready for the holidays here. And California is a crazy state to do business in, probably one of the most difficult states to do business in, in the United States. And it's a lot easier probably to do business maybe where you're at than where, where I'm at. And one of the things that we do at Door Grows, we help grow and scale property management businesses. So they come to us because they're struggling to grow. They're struggling to figure out what they need to do in order to get their business to the next level or to add more doors, as they say, which are units under management. And, and we help them to figure out how to do that. And usually they're thinking they need to do that through SEO and pay-per-click and content marketing and social media marketing and all that standard stuff. And we take them down a completely different direction. 
That's, that's awesome. So why this business? How did you even come up with it? Well, I got started helping property management companies with my brother. He actually bought into one of the largest property management franchises as, as a franchisee with his, his buddy out of college. And they had no doors under management. They were just getting started and he wanted some help with the website. He wasn't really excited about what corporate gave him. And so I helped him out a bit. And long story short, I ended up attracting a lot of the, his fellow franchisees, some guys with thousands of doors, people that have been in the business a long time. And then we ended up eventually getting clients all over the US. So it grew pretty quickly. And we just were operating over a million dollar run rate annually right now. And we're looking at scaling our business even further. And we've had phenomenal growth and we get to help other companies grow. We just had a big conference in St. Louis and we had a bunch of attendees come there and we did our first annual conference. And so it's, and we've got a podcast and it's really kind of going crazy. It's really weird. Very cool. Very cool. So you're working with a lot of property managers. I'm assuming a lot of them, and maybe I shouldn't assume, but are a lot of them investors as well? Yeah, I would guess most every property management person usually had some sort of start in real estate investing, either that or they were a real estate agent that was, and they were helping real estate investors. So there's always a heavy connection between investing and property management. In, in investing, there's always kind of this, the myth of real estate investing is that it can be turnkey. It can be real estate investing is passive income. It can be so easy. And anybody that has rental properties knows that tenants aren't always easy. And having a rental property is not always easy. And the only real way it can be really turnkey or be completely off your plate is if you're able to offload all that to a property manager. But finding somebody that you really trust to do that and do it well, that can be really scary for an investor to give up that control. Absolutely. Funny that you mentioned that. So I'm looking at this, it's not under contract yet, but I'm looking at an 11 unit building, four mm -hmm. commercial and seven residential. And I was just calling just a smaller town quite far up north. And I was calling some property managers and asking them some questions. And right now, for those of you that listen to the podcast, you know that I self-manage. So I self-manage the single family properties. I actually enjoy doing it, but because this is going to be a potentially, I can't really drive there. It would be like 20 or so hours up north or a plane ride away. I am going to need to find a property manager. So I want to find out from you what you think a good property manager does or should do and, uh, and then go with, uh, with some recommendations on how to find that great property manager. Okay. How excited are you about this deal? I'm still waiting on what the financials look like from my mortgage broker. She's just running some numbers and whether I can get a 30 year AM or 35 year AM, like I'm big on cash flow. And so the other piece that I'm excited about is the seller is fairly old. So he wants to move on, retire, et cetera. And he's willing to do a vendor take back. And so okay. I'm in the process right now of just gathering at least the information so I can have my ducks in a row to be able to provide a good offer. And it's been on the market for a while, so I don't think it's going anywhere anytime soon. And by the way, when this airs, I'll probably have made a long decision a while back, so it'll be under contract <laughs> right. or, or closed or not, right? But um, so I'm gonna, I'll put on my coaching hat, okay? So when I first asked you the question, the very first thing you did was sigh. I'm just pointing this out. <laughs> Okay. Yeah, probably. <laughs> it was like, oh my gosh, I'm so excited about this. It was a sigh. And then you gave me all the logical reasons why this could work. Right. Okay. Right? So there's, so I'm just pointing this out. It's yeah, just an yeah. observation. <laughs> so, which could suggest that this may not be something that deep down you're excited about. I'm, I'm, just that out I'm there. scared to give up the control. 
So I've always yeah. managed and I actually enjoy it. And so to give up the control, I would have to, because you know, I'm not going to manage 11 different tenants from that far away. I just need to make sure that they have the processes and the procedures that I would expect. And so that scares me a little bit to know that I might have like maybe three or four options to pick from. And I don't know if they have the same criteria as I would. So the properties that you manage currently, are they single family residential or yeah. are, they, are they multifamily? They're all single family. They're all long-term except for one, which is a recreational short-term Airbnb cottage. Okay. So here is my advice on this, right? For what it's worth, the challenge is you're running a small business on the side and that's, you are basically a property manager. You're what we would call an owner operator, right? right. You're managing the properties that you own. And that's really common to see owner operators in the multifamily space, large multifamily properties, or to see it in the commercial space. There's a lot of owner operators. They only manage the properties they buy and that are their own, not for other people. Now, in single family residential, you don't see that like as often because usually people will get to maybe about four units under management and they're kind of tapping out. They're like, okay, this is turning into like a legit part-time job. It's not the most fun in the world to deal with upset tenants or to deal with maintenance requests or to deal with any of the stuff. Like I'm out. And so then they will start looking for a property manager. Now, one thing I'll point out is that single family residential multifamily type of management, like condos, things like that. Association management, where you're managing an association, which has lots of doors, but is making very little per door. And then you've got like commercial management. These are all completely different business models. Right. And so you, you've got a business model that's working for you and it's local. Mm -hmm. And what you're saying is, I think I may start doing two new niches commercial and a little bit of multifamily, right? Mm -hmm. And I'm going to do this in an area that I lose control over and is completely out of my physical geographic area or comfort zone. That's <laughs> Emotionally. Correct. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. So I think if it was one leap, I would be like, well, maybe you could do that. But there's so many things that are outside of that. And you would have to learn how multifamily works and how to make sure that that works well, because that could be even more challenging than single family. And then you're going to have to learn how to handle commercial. And that is a totally different ball game, like a totally different ball of wax. And so I would say just like from that standpoint, I would say if you could get something that would cash flow just as well, somewhere locally or somewhere in, even if it was small multi or commercial, or ideally it was what you're used to, single family, would you spend that money and do that deal here instead? It would cost five times as much. So it would cost five times so as much. So probably not. So probably not. I'm fairly comfortable with yeah. the concept. Other than the fact that it's far and I will be looking for a property manager. Yeah. If it's actually local, I probably would manage. I would manage it. And local, I just yeah. mean within an hour drive because my properties yeah. are, are still quite far. So I think regardless, I, I'm okay with it. I like the property. I think it just makes, it needs to make the numbers work. So yeah. I guess because I'm probably going to go ahead and, and do it anyways, if it works, because that's how I am. That's how, probably how I got to here. And, you know, you figure it out as you go and cool. calculate your risks as much as possible. So I don't think I would necessarily, I would do that here if there was an opportunity like I found over there. But I think at this point in time, it's just a matter of getting the right property manager to take over and do a good job based on the standards that I would Expect. Yeah. So let's talk about that. So I tested you a little bit to see if you're still interested and you're still I am interested. interested. So, you know, so if you're going to do this, <laughs> so here's, here's, you got, you need a partner. You need yeah. somebody that you feel like you and their interests are in alignment. It's a win, win, win. 
mm-hmm. right? And so you need to figure out who that person or that party might be. Now, they may not exist. If they don't exist in that market and you can't find somebody like that, you will either have to create that position somehow, find somebody that could do this and manage them to deliver the quality that you want, or you may not choose into the deal because that's a kind of a critical component is to make sure that it's, it's managed well. So if you're looking for a property manager, it's sometimes really difficult to find somebody that is good at commercial and residential. But if it's like small commercial and it's, it's multifamily, most single family residential managers would probably be familiar with this and, and they could probably handle it and it would probably work out fine. You just need somebody that really is invested. So what I look for in property management companies the biggest indicator of a property management company that's healthy or is doing well is that they're growing because a business that isn't growing doesn't have cash flow. They don't have revenue and they're in pain. And most businesses in the U S and I'm sure and in Canada, most businesses in the first five years or so fail. Even the businesses that don't fail, if half, half of all businesses fail roughly, all the rest are struggling. Like the mo- most businesses are struggling and they're in pain. And the businesses that are struggling and in pain can't provide great service. And that's what you want. You want great service for your property and for yourself. You want to be taken care of, feel like it's handled. And your big challenge, if you, even if you do find a really good partner to partner with, will be to give up control to let them do their job well. The way to really screw it up, which is the bane of most property management companies, is to have a micromanaging owner mm-hmm. that says, well, no, it needs to be this way or do it this way. And, and they, you don't trust them to do their job because they have processes, they have systems, they have set ways they do reports, all of this kind of stuff. And so what you would love, and usually what owners think they want in their head is they want to go to a property manager and say, here's how I want everything done. Do it my way. But those companies are not healthy companies because then they have a hundred owners that are all saying, do it my way and everything's different and their business isn't systemized. Because they can't systematize their business, they can't really deliver cost-effectively value to their clients. And so they're dying a death by a thousand cuts. And so what you ideally would want, and this might sound weird, you go to a property manager and say, hey, how do you guys do things? Mm-hmm. And you say, well, I kind of would like this, this, and this. And a really good property manager would probably push back and say, we're not going to do things like this, this, and this. And here's why. We found it to work best if we do it this way. You want somebody that really feels confident that they're an authority in their market, they're an authority in their industry. If you're pushing for something, they're going to say, we already do that. Or they're going to push back and say, here's why. We that's don't exactly, do that. That's exactly them. what I want. So I want to make sure that the person is not a Mickey Mouse hey, I'm just going to start a property manager type of person, but understands the laws, understands the regulations, because in Ontario, there are a ton of them, understands how to do the inspections, how to submit different forms. So I think it's just really, really important for me that they have that. And so I think what I don't want is to say, how do you do your tenant screening? And then they just kind of are all over the place. Or how do you, you, somebody is late, what is your process? And then they don't really have a process. So that is what I'm scared about. And at that point in time, then I'm like, well, do I need a property manager or not? But what are some of the questions that we should be asking if we're looking for a property manager that you might recommend that we ask in order to make sure that they are good property managers? I mean, great questions to ask are how many doors or how many units under management do you guys have currently? That will give you instantly a scope of their size. So just to give you kind of some ballpark ranges here, most property management 
companies or property managers out there are struggling and are solopreneurs. And solopreneurs can maybe get to about 50 or 60 units under management. If they have a spouse working with them, which is almost like free labor, they can get to maybe maybe 80 units under management. But if they're a solopreneur and they're doing everything themselves and they're already at that level, they're probably stuck, which means they can't afford to hire somebody. They probably are charging too little on fees to be able to do that. They probably have too many doors that are in what I call the cycle of suck or that are difficult to manage because one difficult property takes 10 times the amount of overhead and work for a property manager as a good property, if that makes sense. And so if they allow anything into their portfolio or take on any property, then odds are that they're running a business that has 10 times the overhead. And that means it's really difficult for them to put any money or revenue towards growth, staffing, hiring, service, et cetera. So you definitely don't want to go with the cheapest guys. That's a temptation. A lot of owners are like, oh, they're all the same. And they try to go with the cheap guys or the the lowest price because they're all the same. And that's not true. On the surface, it will sound like they all do the same thing. But you can tell if they have a really good fee structure in place, they've got a lot of different fees for, for the tenants and things in place to make sure that they are getting enough revenue and that you're getting enough revenue on the property, then they will look at it like a business. They'll look at your property like a business and figure out where you're at, how you can, they can help you cash flow. And they will identify a good property manager is going to help you come up with a lot of new fees that you hadn't even thought of. And uh, depending on the laws in your market or in your area, there's all sorts of fees that can be passed on to the tenant. There's pet fees, there's uh, pet rent, you know, stuff like these could be tacked on in certain markets. I will say for Canada, we're actually not allowed to do that. (laughs) I know the markets are a little different. So like for Ontario, as an example, you cannot assert on pets. You can't do pet fees. You can't do any of that stuff. So there are really, really strict laws. Again, like every state, every yeah. Everything has a bunch of, uh, of differences, but yeah, there's... Um, there's and that's the advantage of a property manager is they will know all yeah. of the ins and outs. They'll know what fees can be charged to the owners, what fees can be charged to the tenants. Yeah. They'll be able to operate within the law. They'll be able to protect you from hurting yourself. Absolutely. Owners inevitably are always trying to do something that violates some sort of fair housing law or something that violates what you should or shouldn't be doing with tenant screening. And they're going to protect you from those liabilities. So having a property manager also acts almost like a form of insurance because it protects yeah. you from doing things you're not aware of. Absolutely. So, so I have two thoughts on that. So A, I 100% agree. So if you're not somebody that's going to read the Landlord-Tenant Act as an example, or you're not going to do your research, or when a tenant calls you, it's going to be frustrating and it's going to be stressful, absolutely get a property manager. I'm also a big, big proponent regardless of as you're starting to property manage yourself and to learn. And you're going to learn so much by being able to do that. And then you're going to be able to also manage property manager. I mean, you probably see it a lot in the U.S. as well. Like there's some great property managers and then there's some property managers that are not good. And I think it's important to, to know to some extent property management basics so that you know if you've got a good one or if you need to replace them. Yeah. I mean, to be honest, most property managers are not good. They're, they've, the property management has earned a negative reputation as an industry in most areas of the world, especially I think in US and Canada, because there isn't a lot of legislation requiring them to meet any sort of requirement. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's even some states in the US in which you have to have no licensing at all. And I think that's kind of similar to Canada. You don't have, there's no 
real criteria in which you right. have to have in order to manage the biggest investment somebody might have ever. Right. Yeah. And that's, that's dangerous and that's risky. And so because the barrier to entry is low, it allows anybody to come in. And so I think over time, that's going to change. I think there will be increased legislation. Somebody's going to ruin it for everybody. And there's going to be some problems that pop up. But then what happens is, I think benefits the consumer and it benefits the industry as a whole too. And that's what's happened in Australia. So in Australia, 80% of single family residential is professionally managed in the rental industry. Mm -hmm. 80%. That's a lot. <laughs> in the US, it's about 30%, maybe. Yeah. And then I don't know what it is in Canada, but I'm guessing it's somewhat similar to the Probably US. Probably closer to the US numbers. Yeah, there's a, there's a lot of small like landlords with one or two properties and they'll self-manage them. Right. Yeah. The majority of people are self-managing. And so, and landlords in general don't have a great reputation among tenants, right? And so property management management companies are, are similar. So the challenge that a lot of property managements fall into. So one thing to identify is to identify whether or not a property management is caught in what I call the cycle of suck. This is property management hell. So here's the cycle of suck. It's real simple. So first they take on any owner or any client, right? which is a big mistake as a property manager because some clients will be great clients and some clients will be terrible clients. And if they take on any client and they're willing to take on any client and they'll take you on regardless, the challenge is they probably took anybody else on. Mm -hmm. And so if the owner is bad, the property is a bad owner property for them to have. So then if they take on bad properties, then they have basically what they end up doing is they become a crap shield for a slumlord. The slumlord or the landlord's like, no, I'm not going to put in a new furnace in the middle of winter or whatever, right? So they're going to push back or they're going to cause problems, cause grief. They're going to try and micromanage you on maintenance requests and stuff like that. And so the, if the owner is bad, then the property is bad for them in their portfolio. Or the property might just be a bad property. It may have a lot of issues. It could be have challenges or be in a bad area. And so if you have a portfolio of bad properties, no matter how much tenant screening you do, if the property is bad, you're only going to be able to have tenants that are bad, generally, is kind of how it works out. And if the property is amazing, but the owner is bad, and the, they're pushing back on every maintenance request and everything that needs to be done or anything that the tenant wants, the tenant is going to be upset and unhappy. So the tenant is bad. Right. And so if you have bad owners, you have bad properties, you have bad tenants. And so all the tenant screening in the world won't solve that problem. And then what ends up happening is if a company has bad owners that are upset and unhappy and frustrated and bad properties in the, in the market, and they have, and they're not taking care of things effectively and the tenants are all upset, they have a bad reputation. They get bad reviews online. They have bad word of mouth reputation. And so then that continues this cycle of suck that they're only going to start attracting the bad owners, the ones that want it at the cheapest price, the ones that are the most price sensitive, that are the most difficult to work with because they just view it as a commodity and I might as well go with the cheapest even if they have a bad reputation. And so this is where most of the property management industry is kind of trapped, is in this cycle of suck. And it's because they're not, just like you need to screen tenants mm -hmm. carefully, it's a big deal. Mm -hmm. It's just as important for a property manager to screen their owners and to screen the properties that they take on, not just the tenants that they're putting into properties. Yeah, and no. then they need a process for screening or filtering reviews, which is something that we help them figure out how to dial that in. And so if they can escape this cycle suck, now the industry as a whole is caught in this. So if you identify a company and they have bad reviews online, they have a bad reputation in the marketplace when you ask around and you know, owners are unhappy, 
the tenants are generally complaining and unhappy, then that probably is a pretty good sign that it's not a great company to work with. And believe me, they try to spin it and they'll say, oh, well, the tenants are unhappy, but our owners love us. But that's not generally always the case. Okay. That's right. I mean, that's really interesting, you know, and you obviously help property managers and people that want to start a business. And I'm sure there's a few people that are thinking, Hey, you know, I've got a few properties. I'm doing it for myself. What do I need to do to, to also be a successful property manager without all making those initial mistakes like you just mentioned, right? So, yeah, it is- so it's a pretty common request that we end up getting. So somebody will come to us. So I'll give you an example. I had a client come to us. His name was David Kerner and he came to, to us oh, maybe about a year or two ago. And he had, he was similar to you, he, but he was a real estate agent, but he had like 10 of his own properties that he was, he was self-managing. They were his own. And he figured, well, I'm doing this for myself. Why not start doing it for others? And so the attraction of property management is that it's a residual business model as opposed to real estate, which is like hunt and get the deal and you get this big chunk of change and then you go back to hunting, right? And so it's like a lot of feast and famine and some people that are really driven really enjoy the hunt and they enjoy real estate like that. But some people want more stability in their life. And so a lot of people get attracted to this business model of building stable residual income in a business that does really well when the real estate market isn't doing well. Right. If properties go down, well, rents don't necessarily go down with them. So, I mean, that's, that's one of the biggest things that when investors are looking at buying a first property, they're like, oh, I don't know if I should get into the market now because it might go down. But at the end of the day, your rents are still going to be your rents. And in Ontario and in many parts of Canada, we have a two, 2% or less vacancy rates. And so it's not like you're going to lose the same amount on rents. You are going to just keep with your rents and then you're going to keep increasing them. And so we just have a, we have to have a different mindset on that piece. Yeah. So there's not really a challenge in getting tenants. It's not right. like a huge issue if the vacancy the is We have a problem of there's just not enough supply and there's too much demand. Yeah. So yeah. So what we'll do is we'll take somebody that's starting out kind of like David Kerner and David Kerner now in about two years, he's uh, getting close to 300 doors under management. So just to get, like, and I don't need to know exactly like what he's making but just to give people an idea if they're like oh you know should i get into it is it worth it like somebody with a hundred doors as an example like what kind of income are they seeing net income like as a salary on average yeah so i'm not a property manager but if i were i probably wouldn't be allowed to talk about fees and stuff in the u.s but i'm not so i can talk a little bit about this so property management companies in us and lower rent markets would probably charge maybe about 10 percent similar to and average rent in, if we could just roughly say, if it's like $1,000, they're making about $100 a door in their portfolio. So if they have a few hundred doors, yeah, a month, monthly. Uh-huh. So on average, most property managers, if they have a decent fee structure in place, they're making usually about $2,000 a year per property. And if they can retain a client, and usually on average, they can retain a client and maybe three to five years a management contract, right? And that's on average because they get a lot of accidental investors that were just trying to sell their property off and get rid of it after a year. And they get a lot of 
they may get some buy and holds that are long term and they might stay with them for like a decade, right? And so there's a massive difference between those two. So that's a multiplier that we, we point out and make sure that they're really focused on when they're acquiring clients. But it's a very systemizable business. They can create processes for maintenance and there's lots of software and tools that they can use for tenant screening and leasing and, and stuff like this. And as they build and as they scale, they're able to get access to greater and greater tools and resources. Mm-hmm. because the cost comes down on a per door basis. Whereas it would be very difficult for somebody in your shoes to have access to the same tools and software and, and resources to offload those pieces on an individual basis, right? For like nine units. So they're able to get create scale and lower their operational costs significantly and they're able to systemize it. And so they can make, property management can either be death by a thousand cuts and a terrible business if they have lots of little leaks because there's lots of point, potential points of failure because it is such a systemizable business, but it's also a relationship business or it can be very profitable and it can be very scalable mm-hmm. and it can be built like a well-oiled machine and it can just make residual income. And so it can be really effective. Where should I invest with your host, Sarah Larvey? We'll be right back. Hey guys, I just wanted to take a quick moment and pause the podcast interview here because I wanted to introduce you to Dahlia Barsoom of Streetwise Mortgages. I am a big believer, as you guys probably have heard, work with a mortgage broker. They are going to help you scale. And when I was first growing in real estate investing and looking to buying my second property and my third property, I was going directly to the bank then. I hadn't met Dahlia yet. And I actually was hitting a roadblock when it came to financing because the bank started asking me for 25% as the down payment. And then for my third property, they wanted 35%. And it was really, really hard for me to A, understand why it was creeping up like that. And B, I didn't have 35% to put down. I had 20%. And luckily, I actually met Dahlia at that point in time. And Dahlia is actually an investor herself, and she works with many, many investors. And she knows all the pitfalls and the barriers that normally come up with dealing directly with a bank and all the different lenders. And Dahlia was actually able to not just find me proper alternatives, but I've got nine properties now, and I'm still able to get financing with A lenders, and it allows me to be able to scale up without hitting the financing wall. And so she's been a tremendous help. So the other thing I really, really enjoy is Dahlia also does a free goals analysis. So if you go to either my website or her website, streetwisemortgages.com, mention the podcast and ask for the free goals analysis, it was a game changer for me. And it allowed me to actually understand what I needed to do, how many properties I was going to get because of the cash flow that I was looking for. If you guys wanted to reach out to Dahlia, you can reach out to her by email, which is info at streetwisemortgages.com. Or you can actually reach out to her on the website at streetwisemortgages.com. And then just go to the contact section. And you can also call her at 1-800-208-208. 6255. Thanks for listening and back to the show. Back to the show. Where should I invest? Real estate investing in Canada with your host, Sarah Larvey. 
there's probably a lot of people that are thinking, hmm, my wheels are starting to spin. You know, maybe this is something I should consider doing and, and scaling up and $2,000 a door per year times a hundred units or whatever it is. Right. And that's gross revenue, right? That's gross. But, and they're going to have costs, but yeah, they can make, they can make pretty good money. So I'll give you an example. My brother manages properties in Orange County. Average rent is probably more like $3,000. Okay. He's charging, I think six, 7%. And that he has over, I think over a thousand properties under management. And of course, so his, he's more than just one person, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah, he has, that's my brother's company and yeah. he does property management. Okay, so sorry. yeah, with his business partner, Kyle. So him and his business partner are both, they both run the company, but they've got a multi-million dollar company because of all these management contracts. And yes, they have a team, they've got a maintenance coordinator, they have leasing specialists, they have a couple of in-house maintenance people. They've got a pretty robust machine and, and team going. But yeah, it's, it's systemizable business. And if he wants to take off and do stuff, he can. So it's not a huge leap from managing nine of your own units to then saying, well, I could do this for other people. And I don't have to go buy properties in my market in order to make money off of all these rental properties. Mm-hmm. I can just use my existing systems, vendors, processes, tools, and I can provide this service to other people. And I can make this my job. And my whole job can be involved in real estate investing. Now, here's where it gets exciting for a real estate investor. If you are in a situation in which you are able to handle the real estate for investors and you are doing, you uh, are seeing all these rental properties, you have dibs on all the best real estate deals. Like you get to see, uh, like somebody's going to say, I want to sell this property. You're like, I know that this is a great investment. I'm, I'll buy this property off of you. And so, and you'll already have the company and the structure in place to manage as many rental properties as you need. So um, I, I want to repeat with, that because that, like, that is music to my ears, guys. Like if you are a property manager or you are connected to a property manager, <laughs> you will get those deals because- one of the things, Jason, is especially for the really awesome, great deals or multifamily properties, like they happen off the MLS, like don't even hit the market. It all gets done, well, the good ones, it all gets done behind the scenes. And so for something, if, if you're really connected, you'll be able to get those before they hit the market. And so that's why it's important to obviously work with your local realtors, but to also have those connections so that you can see it before it goes up and then everybody else sees it. So there's so many things and so many transactions that happen and we don't even know about it. Yeah. yeah. The best real estate investors, like the best real estate agents for investors mm-hmm. are property managers. Right. Also, because yeah. the property managers know exactly what's needed to make a property rent roll really well. Mm-hmm. They know what changes you need to make to make this property rent ready effectively. They know exactly which areas are going to cash flow the best. That, like they're the best yeah. partners to have if you're into real estate investing. But I think that's also important. Like, I mean, I'm a big believer in whoever you have on your team, like whether it's your mortgage broker or your realtor, that they also be investors themselves. I mean, I guess the same thing applies for property managers, right? Your property manager. I mean, it doesn't, they don't have to own tons and tons, but if they just own enough, I think you mentioned it, they know how to cash flow the property. They'll know a lot of different things and they'll be able to help you run the financials. And, and, and be your right hand. And so to, to me, I still believe that like the small up to 10 single families, you could probably 
manage it yourself, depending on if you do thorough tenant screening. If you don't want to, that's fine as well. But there is going to be a point even in my, in my timeline where even though it doesn't take me as long, it actually probably takes two to three hours a month for me to manage the nine properties right now because I have good people in, in that area locally and I'm just texting my plumber or my HVAC person and, and it's at the point now where you know, it wasn't like that always in the beginning, but well, at some point you build your team and it is flowing much better. But at some point I'm going to want to travel. I'm going to want to not necessarily be as local and disconnect a little bit more. So I think every time somebody's calculating their cash flow, look at and see what it would be. Are you still cash flowing with your eight to 10% consideration for a, ma- a property manager? Cause at some point you will be paying that eight to 10% for a property manager, whether you're doing it now or in the future. So when you're buying properties, that addition to make sure that you, you still cash flow with that is important. Yeah, I think, I think one of the things to look at too is that it's not always about cash, right? So as human beings, we have other currencies that matter to us besides cash. Yeah. Cash is like, I love cash. Don't get me wrong. I'm a business owner. That's why you should be that. doing that. Exactly. And, and you know what? But, I'm glad that you mentioned that because money is just money, right? What you do with that money and why you're doing it is like way more important. I think where property managers become even more relevant is when you start looking at time because time I believe is a currency. I think energy is a currency. I think focus is a currency and yeah, I mean, maybe you've got an investor has a small portfolio of rental properties and maybe they can justify it to themselves. Like it's only a few hours a month, but when are those hours? If it's like, like, Christmas and it's a holiday and you're having to deal with a plumbing issue, even though it's only an hour and, but it's on Christmas Eve, that's a problem. And it's a crisis for them and having to deal with it. So sometimes it's, it's about making sure that you have the lifestyle that you want and being able to offload those things and not be the one that feels anxiety every time you see the tenant show up on your caller ID, right? (laughs) Just having that freedom from that sometimes and that peace of mind. And I think that's why people will go towards a property manager. And ultimately in any business, whether you're a real estate investor is kind of your part-time business or you've got other things going on, you, you'll always hit a limit as to your own capacity, just mm-hmm. on your own. And to get to the next level in business, you always have to be willing to let go and offload. Yeah. And so that will eventually be that you'll either need to build, you will essentially either have to build your own property management company or partner with one. I mean, it's really inevitable. You've kind of already built a small miniature one right now. And that's you as a solopreneur running this part-time job. And it's really part-time, it sounds like for you, but eventually it might become uncomfortable and you might be like, okay, I need to get some more help. Getting a property management company that you can trust as a partner will give you this freedom and this space. And I'm a big fan of this principle called space clearing, that when you create a space for something, nature's going to fill it. Like that vacuum's going to get filled. And so once you have this new space, it's kind of like you buy this brand new giant, like empty building, you're going to do something with it. And you're going to start subdividing it. You're going to put people into it. You're going to rent these out or whatever. But if you create this space by getting a property management business that has the capacity to take on 10, 20, 30 new doors, then that allows you this freedom that you don't have to figure out how logistically I'm going to handle these doors. I've got this opportunity that I want. I want to get these other deals on. How am I going to do this? That's no longer the question because you just talk to your partner and you say, hey, can you do this? Can Mm -hmm. you handle this? Yeah. Unless you pull it internally. 
That's a, I mean, that's a great point. At some point you're like, okay, should I be doing this like 20, 30, $40 an hour job? Or should I really be focusing my time on a thousand dollar job of negotiating yes. deals, acquiring deals and all of that stuff. And so, yeah, there absolutely is a time and this is totally off topic, but I just hired a chef who now is going to be starting next week and she's going to go do my grocery shopping. And she comes through her house for like four to five hours and she makes like the entire meals that you want for the rest of the week or two weeks from now. And it's like, I don't even know why I didn't think of this concept <laughs> until I'm like, you know, I'm so sick of cooking or like spending personally. I'm not a, like, I mean, I'm sure some people enjoy it. I personally don't enjoy it. And it's like a lot cheaper than I thought. I would think it would be thousands of dollars. It's like 35 bucks an hour. It's like amazing. Anyways. So yeah, you know, if I can delegate, I'm going to keep delegating. <laughs> Yeah. So we, we delegating is huge. And I think business owners do this a lot. They'll, they'll offload a lot. They'll eventually start offloading inside the business, but they won't do it in their personal life. So I think it's phenomenal that you did that. So we have a nanny at our house. She helps do all the stuff that I tell my wife, I call fake mom stuff. Fake mom stuff is laundry, cooking, cleaning. It's all the stuff our kids really don't care about at all. They don't care that it's done. They just care that it is done. Right. But they want time with Ashley, with my wife. And by getting all of that fake mom stuff off Ashley's plate, she gets to spend time. She's now homeschooling two of our kids. She has time to do that now because we've taken all the fake mom stuff off her plate. And she's involved in the company with me on the financial side. She's like the CFO. So it's freed her up to have a life that she really actually enjoys instead of doing all this stuff. We have people that come clean the house. We have people that come pick up dog potties in the yard. Like we pay people to do these things because yeah, it's work that uh, like I value my time as a lot per hour. And for me to go, it was to the point where I was walking around the yard, micromanaging children, picking up dog potties, trying to get my kids to do this chore. Right. And if you value your time as a thousand dollars an hour, that's probably not where your time is best spent. But I, no. I, I was like, I'm just going to pay somebody to do this. This is the dumbest thing in the world that I'm micromanaging children, picking up dog crap. And I could be creating in, in the same amount of time I could close a 10 K deal. I know this, this is how I think we all need to think. I mean, I had a, a person come and clean up the leaves and I think part of it is like, we think it's so much more expensive but it is not like the guy came in and picked up the leaves. It probably took three hours. It was like a hundred bucks. I'm like, yeah, come back. Like any time. <laughs> it was great. I mean, even gardening or any of that. Stuff. Again, if people enjoy doing it and it helps you de-stress or whatever it is, go ahead and do it. Personally, right. I don't like yard work and I don't like cooking. I, I like eating. I like enjoying a nice glass of wine and focusing on the stuff that matters. And so that for me, that's, that is the best of both worlds. Like cleaning my house. I mean, it, why, why would I clean my house? <laughs> I can hire somebody at a reasonable price to do it. And it's just now you have so much time. And for me being full-time employee, I work full-time and I travel a lot. Like by the time I get home, I want to work on the, on the business, on the real estate stuff, on the podcast. That's the fun stuff. That's a lot going on. <laughs> it is really fun. But for me, it's about also enjoying life now. What can I do even though I'm working full-time to enjoy life now? And it's all about delegating those small things. Yeah, I'm a big fan of energy management being more important than time management. Yes. So, and so it's not so much like, can I do it? I think the big mistake we make when we're entrepreneurial is that we're really adaptive. Well, we can handle a lot of risk and stress and things like this, and we can do just about anything. 
but mm-hmm. it's not it, the question we shouldn't ask ourselves is, can I do it? If I can do it, I can do it cheaper. So I'll just do it. That's like the worst question to ask yourself. The be- better question to ask yourself is, is, does this fulfill me? Should I be doing this? Like, does this energize me? Does this feel like it's creating life for me? Like it energizes me? Or does it not? And if it doesn't, it feels like it's killing you. Like it feels like things that you don't energize you, like me picking up dog potties or micromanaging children picking up dog potties feels like death to me. Like it feels like some part of me is dying a little bit inside. It's just not my thing. Right. And you have with a one life, you might as well live it as happily as possible for as long as possible. (laughs) And so tying this all back together, just like with your investment properties, if you're finding there's things that really drain you, some people just really don't, they're not the relationship people. That's not their thing. They love the real estate investing. They love the accounting. They love the financials. Maybe that's, that's one of your listeners, but they don't, they don't, people are foreign to them or people are difficult or they're challenging and, and there's emotions involved and, and they don't want to deal with that stuff. That might, it might make sense to work with a property manager. If they're terrible with the financials and terrible at accounting, they might want to work with a property manager. And if they feel like they're overwhelmed and they don't want this part-time job and they're not in love with doing property management, they probably should give that to somebody else and take that off their plate. Yeah, 100% agree. Self-managing is not for everybody. Absolutely. And there's some great, great property managers. Like, I mean, in, I'm sure if you know an investor or two, you can ask around. Word of mouth, in my opinion, regardless, is the best yes. way to get a good property manager. Ask other investors who they work with. I mean, there's tons of great ones. There's tons of ones that are just deciding that a property manager tomorrow and don't have a whole lot of experience, but figure out who the great ones are in your area, ask around and can definitely save you a ton of time, a ton of frustration. And if you want to become a property manager, Hey, why not? You know, like if you like enjoy doing it, if you enjoy talking to tenants, you've spent a lot of time learning and reading. And I'm a big believer in having different, you know, multiple, multiple sources of income. And if it's something that somebody can enjoy doing, Hey, turn it into business. Yeah, I'll help your listeners justify this if they need to justify this to their spouse, right? So typically, vacancy rates are a lot higher with people that are self-managing. They have a much higher, harder time getting the property rented out because they might have a full-time job. They don't have time to show properties. Usually when people want to look at property, it isn't convenient for their schedule. One month of vacancy, if you're paying on a property, paying the mortgage, is an entire um, one month of not collecting rent is an entire year of management fees, typically. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so it's real easy to justify. A lot of property managers are really good at things getting rented out quickly, effectively, and keeping that property filled and keeping the people happy so you don't lose people and you end up with vacancy. Because if this happens to you every year or every two years that you're losing your tenants and you have to go through the process again, and then you end up with a month of vacancy each time and you're doing all of this to try and save a buck and self-managing, then it becomes real easy to justify that you should probably be working with a property management company and take that off your plate. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Amazing. So the next part of this podcast is called the lightning round. So I'm going to ask you five questions. Everybody actually gets those same five questions. So they don't differ or anything like that. And maybe provide the first answer that comes to your mind in 30 seconds or less. You ready? All right, let's do it. Okay. So what is your favorite real estate investing book ever? Or you can say your favorite book if you haven't read any real estate specific ones. Hmm. Favorite real estate investing book. Man, I've got lots of favorite books, but 
I'll just go with the book that's sitting right here on my desk since it's in front of me. And this will apply to any sort of work or business. So it certainly could apply to real estate offices, real estate investors, property management companies, but it's called It Doesn't Have to Be Crazy at Work. And it's written by the creator, Jason Fried and David Heinemeyer Hansen, the creators of Basecamp. Oh, I was supposed to read that book. <laughs> this book is phenomenal. So I spent 90 minutes hanging out with Jason Fried, the creator of Basecamp or CEO of Basecamp on, um, on a Skype call. And in those 90 minutes, he completely transformed my business. He showed me how he runs his company and he's written books on virtual teams. I run a virtual company and no kidding, almost overnight, we cut our staffing costs in half. Wow. which means our team became twice as productive and effective is what I'm really saying. I didn't go fire half my team. So, so he just came out with this book. That was years ago that I hung out with him and we've ran our company using a lot of the principles and ideas that he shared with me and how he runs his company. And he's put together this book and it's like a manifesto of against like current horrible cor corporate culture in which everybody is overworked, overstressed, expected to put in tons of hours and burnt out. And it's called, it doesn't have to be crazy at work. And it's all about creating calm in the workplace. And I've given copies of this to my team. This is the type of culture that I want in my company because calm workplaces are far more effective and get far more work done and people feel far safer, and you're able to keep A players on your team, and it's just a much better, it's really the future, I think, of business is, is going to head this way. So, Amazing. So you've definitely convinced me to get it. So it's funny because I also host The Right Club, which is a monthly real estate investing club, and we have investors come. And so now we started using Basecamp for the four of us, the founders, and we have a marketing and strategy branding manager, and we have uh, an admin, and so we're all on Basecamp now. And yeah. it has completely made things so much easier. Like I used to get like 50 emails a day <laughs> and everything is now on Basecamp. And uh, one of the our founders, Laurel, she read the book and she's like, you guys have to read it. It's awesome. So thank you. Yeah, for if you use Basecamp it. effectively, it can lower the pressure and noise and, and create a lot more calm in the business. Absolutely. Very cool. So number two, what is your favorite podcast? My favorite podcast? So my absolute favorite podcast is my business coach. His name is Alex Sharfin, C-H-A-R-F-E-N. And he has the Momentum podcast, it's called. He's one of my close friends. He's a mentor. He's helped me triple the revenue in my business. He just spoke at our conference. I love the guy. He's really awesome. And he talks all about entrepreneur personality types, how to lower pressure and noise, just how to grow and scale companies. He just, he throws out lots of really great nuggets on his short little episodes. So that's great. We'll have to listen to that as well. So number three, what's your favorite pastime? So what do you do for fun when you're not working on your business? Oh, man, asking an entrepreneur what they do for fun when they're not working on their business really puts a big constraint on them. So <laughs> I love working on my business. I love working on my business. It's fun for me. And that's because I've built my business like so that I get to do the things I most enjoy doing. So I really do love doing my business. I think one of the other things I just love, I'm just a nerd at heart. So I love learning. Learning is like my favorite thing. I'm, I've always got multiple books I'm reading, multiple courses I'm going through. I've got multiple coaches I'm working with. I love just learning and absorbing. I probably invest more than most people would invest in an employee into my self-improvement annually, just because that is such a big deal to me. And I believe it gives me 
allows me to create value and give value to others as well so that I have something to give. But yeah, learning is like it. I love it. Okay. Amazing. That's awesome. Good, good, good. Number four, if you lost all your money and your assets tomorrow, how would you start again? So this goes to investing. The number one thing anyone could or should ever invest in, and that's what I do, is invest in yourself because that's the one thing you will always have no matter what. So any knowledge, any resources, anything that you absorb internally is knowledge you have forever. And so it could be about real estate investing, could be about anything, but if you're investing in yourself, and so it's amazing to me how many business owners and entrepreneurs and even people that work at companies will spend so much money investing in others and investing in other people and investing in other systems, but they won't invest personally in themselves. But then they'll go out and try and sell to other people and say, you should invest in us. Like you should pay us to do things for you. And so just like my industry, property managers, if they're going around saying, hey, you should invest and spend money with us and we'll manage your property, but they're not in integrity and investing in themselves, I think it creates an energetic disconnect. And so I think one of the primary things I've seen and people that are stuck in terms of increasing their pay, their revenue, whatever, is that they just need to invest in themselves. And I think it creates permission and it creates confidence that they're worth something, they're worth more, and then they inevitably make more money. Okay. All right. Well said. And last question, number five, and you can apply this to business or real estate, whatever you choose. If somebody has $50,000 and they want to get started, how would you recommend that they spend it? So I'm not sure I answered your previous question though. So let me say this. So you, you said, what would I do? So because I've invested in myself, I feel like I could start anything that I know how to do now from scratch and I could ramp it up very quickly. Okay. It took me like a decade to get to where I am now, but mm -hmm. I think I could go from where I am now, you know, starting out fresh to where I am now, maybe in just a, a couple of years. Like it would be, you know, how that's kind of yeah, I've learned painfully. So I would probably do exactly what I'm doing now and I would help grow and scale businesses. I don't know if I'd pick the property management industry. I probably would because I know it and I love working with those entrepreneurs and it's fun for me. So, but I, I would just help grow and scale businesses and I would do that. And I think I would be healthy within a year. I'd have a solid business. So, all right, question five. <laughs> yeah, so the other thing I would just say is just to add to that is your first million or whatever it is in the business is the hardest. Like once you figure out how to do it, and even in real estate, your first million in real estate or your first business yeah. million in business or whatever it is, you know how to do it and doing it again, you know, to get your second and your third, it just becomes so much easier because you've got your processes and you know so much more than you did before you started when you started with zero. Oh yeah. Hindsight's 2020. <laughs> so number five, then if somebody has $50,000 and they want to get started, how would you recommend that they spend it? $50,000. How would I recommend they spend it? Hmm. So here's what I would say, and this is probably a different answer you would typically get from your guests, your, your usual guests for your audience. But I would say first, they need, if I would first get really clear on who I want to serve, who do I want to serve? Because every business that makes money, if your goal is to make money, has to solve a problem. If yeah. a business is taking money from people and not solving a problem, it is stealing from people, <laughs> right? So a business has to be solving a problem. That's why business exists. So first I would figure out who, do, who am I naturally passionate about helping or solving a problem for? What problem exists in the world that I can see it and I feel naturally called or excited about making that change? 
changing that thing. And to me, I love working with entrepreneurs. That's exciting for me. So I would then take that money and put that towards being able to do that. I would invest in, if I didn't know how to do that, I would invest in getting familiar with that industry, getting familiar, getting coaches, getting mentors, because 50,000 can buy you a lot of coaching and it can collapse a lot of time rapidly. And so if I wanted to become a real estate investor, I don't have to have my own money. I don't have to have my own properties. I don't like, there's ways that you can do all this stuff, but only if you know how. And so if I don't know, I can go buy somebody else's time to help me collapse time significantly. And that's far, I used to be the guy that would try and read every book on my own, watch the YouTube videos and figure it all out on my own. And it it took me probably a decade to do what I could do now in a year if I just went and found the right person to coach and consult me on how to collapse time. Because they already done all that work. They spent that last decade figuring it out. Just like if they come to you and they want to do what you've done, you could help them get from point A to point B rapidly. Oh yeah, right? by, by because you've done it. Sure they don't make all the same mistakes I made in the beginning, right? But you know exactly. what? It is exactly. In hindsight, I probably wish that you know my first year or two in the business, I had somebody taking me by the hand, and I'll tell you why is a lot of the reading in the podcast that I was listening to were American content that did not necessarily all apply here. And finding that out and figuring that piece out, all the financing, all the taxes, what's different, what's not, was actually a lot of time spent maybe learning some of the wrong things in the beginning. So I definitely do offer coaching now and I, and I help people buy their first properties, which is awesome. And I help people screen their tenants and all that stuff. And this is, for me, I learned the long way. And if I had to redo it, I probably would hire somebody out before I even had my first property, I would have liked to know what is relevant in that local market. Yeah. Nobody would even consider setting up a business entity probably without an attorney. Like most people are not crazy enough to just go do that. Most people would probably not do certain things without an accountant, right? I think starting a business or getting into a new industry that you're not familiar with without a coach or consultant is now I looking back is ridiculous. Mm-hmm. And so it doesn't always have to, you, maybe they can't afford a coach, right? It could be a program. Mm-hmm. It could be a course. It could even be a book, but you want to make sure that you're consuming content and that is relevant and useful for you right where you're at right now, not where you eventually want to be, but where you're at right now of what you need to do next and that you take action on that. So before this podcast, I actually took a course on how to put together podcasts and, <laughs> and I guess this is the result of it. And then I took a second course to just get my skills a little bit higher and I'll, I'm sure I'll keep taking courses, but I'm a big believer in, in hiring coaches. I just hired one this past year that's been working with me for branding and, and strategy and just completely has revamped my presence because I, I will not lie. I, you know, I still don't really have Facebook, but I am not a typical millennial with social media and that kind of stuff. So it was in a year. <laughs> A lot has changed, so it's uh, yes. you know, because of the, his coaching. Okay, awesome. So that was the, the lightning round questions. And where can listeners find you, Jason, if they wanted to reach out and know more about you and the business? All right, so that's really easy. We've got a lot of places that can connect with me. If they want to connect with me personally, I'm King Jason Hull on every social media. H U L L. So King Jason Hull on any social media channel. And if they want to connect with DoorGrow, it's really easy to find us. They can just search for DoorGrow. We've got uh, the DoorGrow Show, which is our podcast where we interview property managers. We interview property management software companies and vendors and resources. And so they can check out that and they can go 
like if they want to get to that, they can go to doorgrowshow.com or they can go to our main website, doorgrow.com. And if they're interested in, and they're serious about maybe starting a property management business, they're considering doing this and they want to be around the best in the industry, then they can go to doorgrowclub.com and this will take you to our free Facebook group, which is the community for our podcast. And the Doorgrow Club is this amazing community. We, we interview or make everybody answer questions and apply to join and so that it's really tight. It's really great people. We've got over about 1,600 business owners in there that run property management companies. And we've created a culture and a community there in which everybody is freely giving away their best ideas, giving away advice. We've got cool things in the file section, like fees and different tools and vendors that you can use. And so it is this amazing free resource that we've created for our industry. Amazing. That's great. Any final last words of advice or anything at all that you'd like to let the listeners know before we end the show? I would just say I was really intrigued watching your videos of people interviewing you that you had on your website. And I would say if people are looking to have been listening to you and they haven't yet reached out, hopefully they've been inspired by listening to this call that they should talk to you because you can collapse time for them. They shouldn't be the person trying to just figure it out on their own. They're going to spend far more time, far more money and make far more mistakes. And you in one conversation could prevent them from making some catastrophic mistakes, spending a lot of extra money they shouldn't be doing or doing falling into a really bad deal or situation. Since you offered coaching, I would say if they're looking to do that and you've been listening to her show for a while, jump on her coaching because I'm guessing that she's not charging as much as she should be for it. <laughs> You're right. And I'm not looking at making a fortune per se, I just want to make sure that people are successful and that, you know, for me, my brand, my image, helping others is, is really important. But, you know, I still, I still have you to get... Know, <laughs> you know who you want to serve and you, you've already got this client-centric mission and vision inside of you of people you want to serve and help. And so I think that's phenomenal. And those are the type of entrepreneurs that I think are cool to be around. So it's been great being here Amazing. on your show. Well, thank you so much, Jason. I really appreciate you being on Where Should I Invest? Thank you. And if anybody needs to reach out to Jason and you have a business and it doesn't always have to be property management, I think you can help with a few other things as well. Reach out to Jason. Cool. Thanks so much. All right. Thank you. Hey guys, before you go, I wanted to ask you a question. What's stopping you from starting or growing your own real estate investment portfolio? I know for me, before I started, I had plenty of reasons, and at the time, they all seemed very valid, but as I started my journey, these reasons slowly fell away, and eventually, only one reason remained. What was actually stopping me was having a proven, actionable, repeatable system. I didn't have that, and the way that was going to change was by investing in myself, learning, listening, and looking for ways that worked, and also, most importantly, discovering what didn't and not making those mistakes again. Fast forward to today, I now have a proven, repeatable series of action steps that has enabled me to build my seven-figure portfolio consisting of multiple homes, and I'm able to manage that in two to three hours a month. Is that something that you would want? Well, I've actually taken all the knowledge I've accumulated and put that into a comprehensive step-by-step -step online program. It's called Rise, and it's a program that will help you from where you are now to where you want to be faster and with less of the headaches that I had. So it consists of all the templates and the resources that I use, plus over 40 instructional videos that you get lifetime access to for just a small one-time investment. 
And you know, my recommendation is to make the time now to invest in yourself and grow your portfolio to seven figures so that you can bring your retirement dreams closer. If you want some more information about Rise, just go to sarahlarby.com forward slash R-I-S-E to access more details and book your spot. Thanks so much for listening to Where Should I Invest with your host, Sarah Larby. Make sure to listen in next time. We'll catch you on the next episode of Where Should I Invest.